You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our New Testament lesson today is taken from the second chapter of Mark, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around, there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Once again, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. May the words of my mouth and the silent meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, To begin today, I'd like for us to think together for just a moment about the village of Capernaum. Capernaum sits on the northwestern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It's about 20 miles from Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And Jesus spent a good bit of his earthly ministry either in or rather near that town. If Jesus had a parish, Capernaum would have been it. The town was on one of the main trade routes of the time, so people would have passed through regularly on the way to and from Damascus on the north and and Egypt to the south, which certainly goes a long way to explain how news of Jesus spread throughout the region during his time there. But at its heart, Capernaum was really a very small village of perhaps a few hundred families. And many of them, like those of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fished for a living. It was the kind of place where everybody knew everybody else and where relationships were built slowly, one conversation at a time and one person at a time. It says something important about Jesus' priorities, doesn't it, that he chose to begin and continue his ministry in an area where the way to gain the trust of people was to engage with them individually. And it's in this way that Capernaum seems to me very similar to the contemporary Scottish parish of Methlick. And those of you in the Godspeed Sunday School class, you may probably already know the direction we're headed here. When American Matt Canlis arrived in Methlick Parish to serve as pastor, he arrived by his own description as a man in a hurry. He was like, well, honestly, he was like me, and perhaps some of you, anxious to get the next thing done so he could get on to the next thing and then the thing after that. But he quickly discovered that Methlick was not built that way. You can imagine how he must have felt 
when he learned that of the 400 or so families who lived there, it was assumed that he would visit every single one of them, and not only visit, but get to know them, and let them get to know him. And he also came to a realization that the way the folks at Methlech wanted him to be with them was like the way Jesus spent his time in Capernaum. He would draw crowds, no doubt about that, but even they came one person at a time, as someone who encountered Jesus would tell someone they knew, probably someone they'd known for a long time, and then that person would tell someone they knew and probably had known for a long time, and so on. So while we're often drawn in the gospel accounts to the times where Jesus preached to large groups, really, a lot of his ministry was about the relationships he developed, one person or perhaps a few people at a time. Now, we can't live in Capernaum, and we don't live in Methlech, although the Godspeed video series might tempt some of us to want to move there. We live here in America, and we have to navigate a fast-paced, challenging, always-changing culture. It's a culture in which many people seem to have a hard time making connections. You might have seen that the Surgeon General recently issued a report that describes an epidemic of loneliness, isolation, and lack of connection in this country, and that it poses long-term health risks that are similar to those of daily smokers. So, given this, as followers of Christ, what can we learn from Him that will help us be agents of, a connection, agents of connection in an increasingly disconnected world? Well, the very first thing Jesus offered people was simply his time. Uh, it's Father's Day, of course, as we've mentioned, and fellow dads, isn't that what our children need the most from us? Time. They're not asking us to be the wittiest, or the smartest, or the coolest, or the best athletes. If they're teenagers, they absolutely do not want to see our dance moves. Trust me on that one. They just want us to spend time with them. Jesus gave people his time. I know that if you read the Gospels straight through, things seem to move in a hurry. But if you look at individual passages, Jesus never is. He stops to speak with people on the road. He visits them in their homes. He has dinner with them. He takes the time to get to know them and gives them time to get to know him. Matt Canlis tells a story about spending a lot of time on and then preaching what he called a really good sermon when he served as pastoral intern at St. Andrews in Scotland. This was just before he went to Methlech. And after it was over, he asked the supervising pastor what he thought of the sermon, and the pastor said, well, I thought it was about 10 minutes too long. Matt was naturally disappointed in that response, and he replied, but it's Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, don't these people deserve our best? And his supervisor said, yes, they do, but they also need our best on Monday morning. In other words, 
Maybe a little less time spent on the sermon and a little more time spent with the people. Uh, But for Jesus, of course, and as Matt discovered, it was about more than just being present. Jesus had a gift for meeting people where they were in life, and especially for the humble, of welcoming them into his presence without preconditions. It had to be one of the reasons all different kinds of people felt they could approach him. I had a revelation a few years ago about seeing things without precondition that I'd like to share with you. It involves snorkeling, so just hang with me a minute and you'll see where we're going. So Marsha and I were lucky enough to spend a week in the Caribbean, and not far from our cottage was a small beach with a reef that was locally known as a really good spot for sea life. So, as soon as, as, soon as we could after I, we arrived, uh, I grabbed my gear, headed down to the beach, and swam out to the reef. Uh, it was beautiful. The water was clear, the rocks and the coral that were near the surface quickly dropped off to about 10 to 15 feet. There was then a sandy bottom. There were passages to swim through and caves to look into. But I have to admit, I was a little disappointed. It's not that there was nothing to see, but I had a Discovery Channel picture in mind of schools of photogenic fish, lobsters crawling across the sea floor, little green eels peeking out from the caves, and none of that just really seemed to be there. I went back every day and essentially had the same experience until finally, later in the week, I stopped trying to look for what wasn't there and started looking at what was. I got up very close to the rocks and coral and instantly everything changed. An entire universe opened up literally right in front of my eyes, almost in an instant. There were tiny fish of all kinds, little crawling creatures, all sorts of colorful plants attached to the rocks and waving in the current. And all of this was in the space of just a few square feet. So, what changed about that reef? Well, absolutely nothing, of course. What changed was my willingness to look at what was there as opposed to what I had decided should be there. Every person we encounter in life is a universe. Jesus saw that. Perhaps you and I could do a better job of seeing that too. Here's another aspect of how Jesus dealt with others. Nobody got left out. In Methlick, Matt Canlis learned that in a Scottish parish, his congregation was every person who lived there, from those who professed a strong Christian faith and came to church regularly, uh, to those who professed another faith, to those who had questions, and to those who would profess to no faith at all. Each person, all of them, were entitled to his equal attention and care. In Capernaum, Jesus would have dinner with anyone, and that often, as you know from the scriptures, caused a bit of a local scandal. 
He healed the centurion's servant just as readily as he healed his fellow Jews. The hero of one of his most famous parables was a despised Samaritan. And one of the most meaningful conversations in all scripture is Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in the Gospel of John. As you probably know, we have a lot of people who come to this campus hoping to get some kind of help. And God bless Kathy Rush in that office over there for being the point person for all those folks. But I'll sometimes see them coming and going from the building, and occasionally they'll speak to me first because I'm the first person that they see. And I've noticed something about myself in these moments. Before we've said a word to each other, I have in my mind placed them in a category. And it's a different category than I would put any of you in if I uh, encountered you around this campus or around town. And if I'm placing people in a category under those circumstances, I'm probably doing it most of the time. And when I assign someone to a category, I'm erecting a barrier. And these kinds of barriers between people do two things. They not only hurt our ability to know someone, they work in reverse. That person can't get to know us either. Because connection with another person has to move in both directions, yes, or it's not really a connection. It's something else something not nearly as good, or something that could even be harmful. Uh, you know, the poet T.S. Eliot wrote famously of preparing a face to meet the faces that you meet. In other words, create some kind of barrier. In God's kingdom, should we really be doing that? The people we meet, each and every one of them, are known and beloved by God. They shouldn't have to prepare a special face for us. But we are also equally known and beloved by God. So why should we prepare a face for ourselves? If Jesus was open to everyone, no faces, no preparing a face, just the real face, if Jesus was open to everyone, shouldn't we be too? So here's a quick recap. If you want to connect with people more like Jesus did, you can, one, simply give them your time. Don't be in a hurry. Two, be open to them. Be open to the moment and what they're saying. Three, come to the encounter with the person without making any judgments about them before you've even had a chance to speak to them. And then fourth, and maybe the hardest, have enough humility and courage to let them get to know you. Or, if you're not a particular fan of lists, you could try this. Think of someone who has been a true presence in your life. In fact, let's all take a moment right now to do that. Just a moment. Someone who's been really meaningful to you and in whose presence you always love to be. 
So what was that person like? I, I can't seem to get through a sermon here without mentioning his name, but for me, it was Bill Arthur, who served as pastor here twice. He was that kind of person. I always felt that, first of all, I had his undivided attention. And second, not only that he was hearing me, but somehow all along thought the best of me. He was the kind of person who had a way of making everyone feel that they were his favorites. And I was always, always eager for the next occasion that I could spend time with him. Don't you think Jesus was like that? And I bet that's what it was like in that room in Capernaum. And I'd like to go back there. But before we do, for those of you who know how this passage continues, there's a theological argument. And I'd like to, for also, to set that aside for a moment and just concentrate on being in that room with Jesus and those people. It would have been a small room, a very small room. Uh, houses in that era were tiny, and so it's possible that even though the room was crowded, that crowd meant just maybe six, eight, ten people at the most. So it was Jesus in intimate conversation with others. Then, just picture this, the roof opens up. The roofs were, were partly thatch, partly, uh, partly clay. Someone's digging all that out. A hole appears in the roof, and then a man is lowered through, right into the middle of everybody. And so what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Now, whatever else that those words meant, at that place and in that time, what if they meant, hey, everybody, don't worry about what happened. Don't worry about who's going to fix my roof. It's all going to be fine. And what if those words meant to the paralytic, welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Time, presence, connection. Things that are in such short supply in a hurting and lonely world. But as followers of Jesus, we're uniquely positioned to make a difference in all kinds of ways, in all the different kinds of encounters with people we have, in all sorts of circumstances. We can be the difference. And if not us, who's going to do it? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.